everybody. Welcome to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Gish, Crohn's warrior and IJ nephropathy warrior, and I'm dedicated to sharing the stories of those with IBD. Thank you so much for joining me today. Now let's get to it. Well, hi, everyone. My guest today is Tom Wilding, a Crohn's disease warrior and graphic designer who enjoys horror films, travel, wrestling, and sharing irreverent humor about body parts and his IBD journey. After battling Crohn's disease for the past 16 years, he's now just four months post-surgery from a subtotal colectomy, and he's here today to share his story. Thank you so much for joining me today, Tom, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. So before we get into how you're doing now, let's go back to the beginning. And can you go ahead and talk about when and how you were first diagnosed? Yeah, sure. Um, I, f- I was first diagnosed in 2007. Um, I'd started having some issues. I hadn't long sort of graduated from university and I was starting my first, um, my first jobs and, and everything. And um, I started having some stomach issues, which didn't seem to go away um, over the course of about six weeks. Um, I went to my doctor just eventually just to ask about them because I'd never had anything like that before and um, was told it was stomach flu. And so sort of went away and, you know, the symptoms didn't get much better. I was getting sort of lower, lower abdominal pain, always in the same place and, and sort of needing to go to the bathroom a lot more frequently. But after going back to the doctor another twice, um, I actually ended up seeing uh, one of the uh, practice nurses uh, who was there, who it was only because there was only a nurse available at the time for the appointment that I booked. And um, she examined me and said, I think you might have Crohn's disease. Um, so that kicked off about three, three or four months then of investigations. How long did it take from your first, from first going in and having been told that it was stomach virus? How long did it take to finally see her where she started to think maybe IBD? I think it was it was probably about eight or nine weeks. Um, I remember I remember going back and forth to the doctor. I think it was three times in total um, before I got that diagnosis. And you know, I was just told each time that it was just particularly stomach uh, sort of stubborn stomach flu, or you know, maybe I'd had some food poisoning that had caused some other issues and and so on. Um, but at the time, obviously, I know different now, but at the time I hadn't had these symptoms before, but then I'd never had stomach flu before. So I, I didn't really know sort of too much about it. But yeah, it was it was probably about eight, eight or nine weeks in total. So what happened next once you finally got to her and she started to suspect more than stomach flu? What what happened at that point? Um, I was referred to the hospital um, where sort of further investigations started, um, everything from sort of being referred to a specialist right through to various scans. I can remember having a, a barium scan, um, having various other sort of tests, blood tests done and, and so on. Probably over about, that would have been about probably about another three to six months, I think. Um, it's going back a long time now, so <laughs> it's difficult to remember exactly, but it was about, it was about three to six months. And if you remember, do you remember what you were doing during those? Because that's a long time, as many of us know, while we're trying to get a diagnosis and we're just left on our own trying to manage these symptoms. Do you remember 
what you were kind of doing at that point to try to keep living your life, but still trying to figure out what's happening? Yeah, it was it was tricky because at the time I was in a job I, I didn't particularly enjoy either. Um, I'd sort of taken a job coming out of university out of necessity rather than it being something I was sort of hugely passionate about. So I was back and forth the hospital and the doctors a lot and then working a job I wasn't enjoying. And I mean, to be to be completely honest, they weren't maybe particularly understanding at the time either. Um, and I mean, that's something I've seen change quite a bit over the last 10 years or so. But yeah, I think it was just, I was trying to look for myself to make myself feel better. I was trying to look at sort of eating more healthily and, you know, trying to get some exercise and, and so on. Because I sort of remember at the time that the, the, the fatigue and everything hadn't really started by then. It was sort of very early days, but I think I was trying to sort of look at ways I could help myself. But again, at the time, I had no idea what Crohn's disease entailed. You know, there wasn't the information in the community out there now that there is uh, then that there is now. So it was it was quite, yeah, it was quite sort of um, strange, strange times, really. So keep going in your story. You start getting this slew of testing done over three to six months. What what starts happening at that point? Well, my symptoms were, because I wasn't actually on anything to manage the symptoms um, while the investigations were happening, the symptoms were getting worse. At the time, I remember it mainly being a lot of pain and discomfort. Um, a lot of the other symptoms sort of developed later on, but it, I, I remember just there being one spot in my abdomen that just hurt all the time. And it was that area that, that it sort of made sense afterwards getting my sort of first colonoscopy that that they spotted the region that was most affected and it it sort of tallied with where the, the pain was. So yeah, it was lots of tests, lots of scans. Like I say, I had my first ever colonoscopy, which was a an event in its own right because the uh, the specialist who I'd sort of formed a relationship with when all these tests were going on and I trusted and, and was great, absolutely fantastic. I was having an assessment the day that I had my first colonoscopy. <laughs> uh, so my first experience of a colonoscopy was in an operating theatre with about eight or nine other people in there uh, who I didn't know. Um, so it was dealing with all of that stuff for the first time ever and, and everything as well. And you were probably in your 20s at that point, right? Early yeah, 20s? Yeah, I would have been 20, 22, 23 at the time. So for most of us, it's already... I know for me, it was embarrassing. I was in my early 20s when symptoms first started. So I can only imagine then to find out you're, you're in a theater of... <laughs> yeah, with pe people with clipboards who are sort of making notes on what's going on. It was, it was all a bit of a strange experience. Yeah. yeah. So after that colonoscopy, was it definitive at that point that they knew IBD was what was yeah. causing your symptoms? Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was then that the sort of initial treatment plans and, and so on kept sort of started being drawn drawn up because it was very clear from from that colonoscopy what the case was i think they'd they'd had suspicions it could have been a few other things but they ruled out bowel cancer quite early on but it was yeah the, that that colonoscopy really really sealed it so take me through the next 16 years because you you had your diagnosis and then you struggled with symptoms for a long time before your recent surgery that you just had earlier this year so I know you went through a lot of different medications, a lot of different treatments. Take me through that process of what you went through to to finally get to the point where surgery was the option. 
yeah, it was a very complex um, 16 years. Um, sort of, as, as I've already mentioned, the, the early days compared to how things got, um, as much as they were uncomfortable and, you know, that there was an element of the, of the pain there, a lot of the other symptoms were, were quite early on and quite mild um, relatively at the, at the time. Um, but through the next 16 years, I'd tr- I've tried, I think, in total seven or eight different treatments, and that's included everything from steroids to uh, two or three different types of steroids, right through to sort of biologics, immunotherapy. Yeah, there's, there's, there's been a lot. What, what complicated things is that um, fairly early on, I discovered that a particular type of steroid that's prescribed here um, has really bad um, side effects on my mental health. So living in London at the time, I had had a flare-up that was quite severe, ended up prescribed prednisolone steroids, which I found then in the sort of two or three weeks that I was on them immediately had a really negative effect on my mental health. So what's, I think, complicated things since then is that that's not been a treatment option since. So my understanding is from speaking to other people is that that's often a go-to treatment for Crohn's and colitis flares. And as of about the last 10 years, that's not been something that I've been able to, to take. What was your support system like at that time? Did you have family or friends that you felt you could talk to about some of these things, especially with symptoms that were putting you in a a mentally tough time? Yeah, I mean, earlier on was more difficult because I think for the first few years, I didn't really understand what was going on. So so sort of talking to other people about her and expecting them to understand it was seemed seemed really difficult. So for the first sort of three or four years, it was it, it was quite quite a sort of solo journey, really. Where I've been lucky sort of since that is that I mean something I've I've always been very very keen to do since a few sort of early bad experiences is just be very upfront about the condition with anyone who either should know or asks about it. So everyone from employers right through to sort of friends, family. I mean I've I've been with my partner now for eight years. Um, and she sort of knows all the ins and outs of it. But yeah, I think I think that I've been very lucky as well compared to a lot of people in that the medical support um, element around me has always been very, very positive. There has been some times where it's been less so. I mean, I, I waited nearly two years from being told I needed the surgery I've had to actually having the surgery. But in the main, the, the treatment I've had, the support I've had from from medical professionals has been brilliant. Um, and I, I think talking to other people, I've been quite lucky in that regard. You mentioned sharing your IBD with your employer. Talk to me a little bit about what compelled you to want to do that, how that was received, how those conversations went. If someone out there is thinking maybe maybe they haven't shared it with their employer, but they're thinking maybe maybe they should. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm of the opinion um, from my experience that you should always share it. I've had some experiences with with jobs where uh, I think a combination of them not fully understanding the condition and it's sometimes being looked at as just a sort of tummy ache um, situation and it not being seen as particularly serious has caused issues then if I have needed hospital appointments during work time or if I've taken any any sick leave and a few jobs early on in particular was what drove me to then make sure that I'm I'm always fully open about her and I make sure that it, it, it sort of employers have as much information as I can give them about it 
to the point that my current in my current job before I went off work for a while for, to have my surgery, I actually put together a sort of um, illustrated, uh, almost like a graphic novel cartoon uh, thing explaining what it was that I was having and what the situation would be afterwards and talking about that in front of everybody in the office just because a there's there's always a case in every workplace i think that when someone's not there for a while people start speculating on why that is and also i knew that there would be some lifestyle changes i'd have to make when i came back that just giving people prior warning of that just saved a lot of time and effort in the long run i think i think there's definitely i i absolutely recommend it i think there's a way of doing it and it's sort of I guess keeping in mind that as much as you need a lot of flexibility with your employer, they're looking at it from a business perspective as well as a sort of holistic and support perspective. So they are going to have one eye on you as an employee and as and as someone who's being productive and constructive within the workplace. So I think thinking about how you talk about it is important, but I think just making sure that they're fully aware of how your day-to-day life may be different with the condition and what flexibility you might need around it is is really important and it goes a long way. And I'm guessing your employers have been have received that information very well. It sounds like they've been supportive. Definitely. And I, I think overall in the last going back as, as much as maybe the last 10 years, I've seen a big change in how not just IBD is treated in the workplace, but a lot of other chronic conditions as well there seems to be a much broader understanding of it and how a chronic illness affects a person day to day. There's there's definitely seems to be a lot more awareness there, at least in my experience. And in the main, there's that flexibility and that the additional considerations have, have almost come with that. And I've certainly found it in my last sort of two or three jobs within the last 10 years, I found it much, much easier than I did at the start of, of the of the journey. That's great to hear. So talk to me a little bit about fitness and food, because you mentioned that early on, before you were able to start on any treatments, you kind of looked to diet and fitness to try to get healthier and see if that had any impact on what was happening. Over the years, as treatments were failing you through IBD, did you start leaning back on diet and fitness? And did you have any observations throughout that journey of what worked and what didn't work? Or anything like trigger foods? Yeah, trigger foods were a huge thing. And and unfortunately, I think is the nature with IBD is that you only find out about the really bad ones by actually eating them and then having <laughs> having the fallout afterwards. And I know for me, I mean, I laugh about it now, but when I think back to how how ill it made me at the time, I don't drink milkshakes anymore. Because going back uh, probably about 10 years ago now, went with some friends for a milkshake. Fantastic, really enjoyed it, and then spent the next week and a half in bed um, really unwell. And it, it, it really triggered my, my current symptoms. And I've, I've seen since things like having a large amount of dairy, spicy foods, and for, for me in particular, fatty pastry. So things like flaky or, or buttery pastry are a, real, are a real trigger, which, yeah, is sort of when you, when you then decide you really enjoy baking and everything makes things quite challenging. <laughs> But in terms of overall sort of nutrition and fitness, it's something I've always found really, really difficult because what I've tended to find is that 
what I was very guilty of is that as fatigue was getting worse and my energy levels were, were really struggling, if I was in a flare or just generally sort of within the last five years in particular, I'd eat more to compensate for an energy drop, which then because I wasn't active with that because I was struggling with symptoms, it just meant weight gain constantly. And I thought it was sort of a really good shortcut for just bypassing the fatigue and so on. But I'd noticed sort of every six months or so that I'd put on quite a lot of weight. But then conversely, when I did get things right and I was sort of focused on on fitness and nutrition, there was a time back in um, 2014 where I'd arranged to go traveling for, at the time, what was going to be about six months. And in the run up to that, in the year run up to that, I learned to scuba dive and I was very determined to lose weight and sort of improve my fitness so I'd just be able to make the most of everything when I was traveling. So within the space of 11 months, I'd lost nearly 70 kilos, I think, which was a huge amount to lose. And it all came from healthy eating and and just making sure I was getting daily sort of regimented exercise and, and staying really disciplined on it. And that carried through when I went traveling then. And it just made sure that my symptoms were quite stable while I was away. I didn't have apart from maybe one or two days, I think the whole of the four and a half months I was away, I didn't have any issues with my my current symptoms but i guess i was i was living a very outdoors lifestyle while i was traveling i was going on lots of hikes and and so on so i think it all it all helped but it definitely the biggest challenge for sure is is dealing with the fatigue and and what the fatigue then informs with you know it's very easy to slip into bad habits and to not get out and and exercise because the fatigue just makes things very very difficult It does. And I know that's something that you just recently shared about, too, on your Instagram. Post-surgery is dealing with the fatigue and life after surgery. So let's talk about your surgery for a little bit because it's so recent. You shared on your Instagram that you were technically quite well prepared for it. You knew what to expect with the surgery-wise, but there were a lot of things you started to learn afterwards that maybe you weren't really aware of that would have been good to know before the surgery. So can you kind of talk about some of those things that you were experiencing that other people who might be facing a surgery might want to know ahead of time or what that was like for you? Yeah, I mean, I was I was in a way the the fact that I had to wait so long for my surgery date was a blessing and a curse because I, I was dealing with very, very strong, very severe um, symptoms for those two years. But it did give me a long time to do a lot of research and to get my sort of mental state and get my head around the idea that this surgery was happening and it, it was going to be quite a big life change. But I think even even with the the research and with the information that I got from from my doctors and and sort of other support networks, there were a few a few things that I didn't really consider, which looking back should have been almost should have been common sense, but but at the time um, didn't really seem to sort of enter my brain. So things like the big one for me is that, and it sounds so strange to say, but I've I've always been someone I've always slept on my front, and one of the big things that came up during recovery that I ha- hadn't considered was that especially during recovery, they advise you don't sleep on your front while you're recovering from the, the surgery itself. But talking to other people, there, there's there's been a lot of people who've said about issues that can happen with your stoma and with 
in increasing the risk of things like leaks if you do sleep on your front. So something I had to spend my sort of initial three month recovery time doing was learning how to sleep on my back, which I've never, I haven't done since I was a baby. And that was something, I think because I was focusing on the big issues and the, and the big changes, there were lots of little things that I hadn't sort of really thought about. Clothing was another one. So I've, I've always worn jeans with a belt and I can still do that. But during recovery, that was really difficult. So it was a case of during recovery, I was all, I was wearing baggy clothes for three months and I hadn't thought to myself, well, what am I going to actually be wearing for the best part of, you know, a quarter of a year once I've had my surgery and, and things like that. I hadn't really thought or had much information about how it affects hydration, which has been a really interesting one because I've always been someone who drinks a lot of water. I've, I've got a really big water bottle is two liters and I go through a work day having finished that. Plus I'll have a coffee, plus I'll have water and, and other drinks in the evening. And now it, this sort of, it has to be managed a lot more. I have to keep an eye out for being dehydrated just because of the fact that water is no longer being absorbed through by my large intestine. And the recommendations I've had, some, some people have said otherwise, but the recommendations I've had is to avoid having too much sort of just straight water as well, because it can actually have the converse effect of dehydrating you because it just goes through your system so much quicker. Because it doesn't have any of the electrolytes in it that Absolutely. your body needs. Yeah. So, so looking, at, looking at things like um, hydration tablets and so on, which is something I have sort of once a day now, wasn't something, and it's not it's not like that's big effort. So it's not like it's sort of a huge um, life change, but it's, it's lots of little things like that, that I think you forget about as you're preparing that afterwards, when you, when you do them, they'll be second nature and they'll feel like common sense, but there's, there's all this sort of little bits and pieces that you, you maybe don't realize. So what was the actual physical recovery like? Was that something that you needed a support system to help you with, or was it just really kind of as you were healing, coming out of the hospital, and then share with me a little bit how you've been dealing with that fatigue that you've been noticing throughout recovery as well. Yeah, so again, from from talking to a few people who had surgery around the, the same time as me, I was quite lucky, I think, in that post-surgery, so I was, I was in hospital for seven days, which compared to a lot of other people have had this surgery is, is quite short. It, se- it seems to be the average sort of stay has been about 10 days. So I was out of hospital quite quickly, relatively few problems while I was in hospital. The first sort of three or four days were, were quite challenging, but there was noticeable improvement sort of every day after that. And then being at home, it's, it's tricky to say because ultimately before going back to work, I had three months at home recovering. And in some ways, that was more than enough. And in other ways, it feels like I could probably have done with more. Um, so from a physical standpoint, I, I mean, they had me up and around and sort of switching chairs and so on in hospital the day after surgery. So actually physically being up and around was, was very quick. And with a few adjustments at home, I kept that going as much as I could. So I bought myself a, a walking pole or a walking staff. We've, we have a dog, so sort of if we're ever out with her and it's on uneven ground, I still take that with me now just as additional support for my core. And sort of ensuring that I was wearing my stoma support belt when I was going around because the thing I did notice that was a very, very strange feeling is I had um, open surgery for my septal colectomy. 
and that obviously involved going through my my stomach muscles and one of the strange things that i felt during recovery is that if i was walking around without my support belt on i could physically feel my stomach muscles sort of sway which was a very very strange feeling it wasn't painful there was no discomfort to it but it was just a very very weird feeling and saying about fatigue i, you, I definitely noticed within the first probably up to about week 10 of recovery that anything more than just sort of walking around the house or going to the end of my street was exhausting, physically exhausting. And it tailored off after that, and it's got a lot more, um, a lot better uh, within the last sort of three months as well. But I think mentally, thank because of the support network I had, so I had friends checking in, a few friends checking in very regularly, which was great. Um, my partner was here every day. She worked from home for... Um, a couple of weeks um, rather than sort of commuting into the office. So I always had somebody here. We'd made some changes to the house before my surgery. So we had a new bathroom fitted, for example. So we'd had access to a shower because we only had a bath previously. So there were changes that we made in advance that just made things easier. And mentally, recovery was great. I, I can I can pretty much hand on heart say that in that in that initial recovery period, in that initial 12 weeks, I can't really say I had a sort of what we call a wobbly day where I just felt sort of emotional about it all. I've always tried to look at it quite matter of fact and just accept that it it was something that had happened. You know, I can't change it. I can't fight against it. So I was very, one of the things I wanted to do quite early on in the recovery was get that acceptance through. And mentally it's been, I can honestly say it's been really, really positive, but a very tiring uh, 12 weeks for for sure. And you've gone back to work now, too. Is that correct? So tell me a little bit about how you're now getting back to work, still having a little bit of fatigue and trying to find that new normal. Yeah. So I, as I sort of touched on earlier, I was very, I was as clear as I could possibly be with my employers before surgery as to sort of what I'd been told the, the average recovery time was. And it ended up being a little longer than I expected. I was sort of told it'd be about 10 weeks and I I ended up going back to work after 12. But I had catch-ups with them before I started back to put in place a phased return. So what that meant was initially for the first, I think for the first three weeks, I was working uh, just in the mornings. So I was working until 12.30 every day. And on two of those days, physically going into the office as well, which... I'd wanted to do because it gave me an excuse to be up and about and, you know, make sure that I was I was getting that physical recovery in as well. And as that's developed, I'm now in a situation where I work from home full days. Um, that's three days a week. And then two of the days, two days of the week, I go into the office, but I still only work those half days just because it, that fatigue is still an issue. I'm still physically recovering. And the commute I have, while it's not a very long commute, it is fairly physical in terms of sort of how I get to the office. There's a lot of walking involved. Um, I'm carrying a sort of fairly heavy bag and, and so on. So it's quite physically challenging still whilst whilst I'm recovering. But yeah, sort of it, I've, I've, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to be in a situation where I was telling them I was ready and then cause issues when it was clear that I wasn't. So I made sure that I did take that extra time before going back. And, you know, I've, I've stuck to um, or tried to stick to the, the phased return conditions as much as I possibly can, uh, just because otherwise I think I'm just opening myself to problems down the line. 
Sounds like a great plan and really great insight. Thank you for sharing that. So talk to me a little bit about physically how you're feeling. You had symptoms for so long. Has the surgery helped you to start feeling better and finally get to a place where are you in remission or have the symptoms at least gone away? And aside from the healing aspect, are you feeling feeling well? Yeah, I mean, I, I was talking to some friends last week about, you know, one of them asked, do you still have IBD? And it's something I actually had to look at myself because, again, I think one of the things from before surgery is that there's a lot of maybe some misconceptions with people that the surgery is a cure. And at least with this type of surgery where part of my large intestine is still present, that large intestine still has IBD. It still is still is affected by Crohn's disease. So I do, for all intents and purposes, still, still have Crohn's. But the one thing I told them, and it, it was a real... I mean, I, I nearly cried, to be honest, just with re the relief of it, because when I woke up from my anesthetic, I didn't know before the surgery whether I'd be having keyhole or be fully, um, have sort of full open surgery. And I came around from the anesthetic and the nurses sort of roused me a little and said, you're okay, you had the full surgery, um, just take it easy, just, just rest for a minute. So my brain suddenly went to, oh, I've had open surgery. This is, you know, it's going to be really painful and so on. And then I realized that not only was the surgery site itself not painful, but I couldn't feel any of my Crohn's symptoms anymore. And after having that low level, sometimes very high level, but mainly low level sort of throb in my abdomen for 16 years, it was the strangest feeling and the relief was unbelievable. And I knew... I knew that the surgery would make a big difference, but it was then that I, I sort of realized exactly how much of a difference it had made. I honestly, at, at that moment, I didn't care about anything else. It was, they could have, you know, they could have done all sorts of surgery to me. And the fact that that pain wasn't there anymore was the real, the thing that just, just cut through it all. It was, um, it was great. What a great feeling. So I want to talk a little bit about your advocacy and sharing your story. You just started your Instagram page in March, I believe, a couple months before your surgery. What compelled you to finally jump online in a public way and share your story and share your journey? I think partly it was because of, of what I've already mentioned that I realized coming up to my surgery that there was a lot that I still didn't know. And I thought to myself, well, if if I've had all of this time to prepare for this surgery and there's still things I don't know, how are people dealing with it who are having this as an emergency or with sort of very little notice? And that that was quite a big driving factor. But I think initially, because at, at the time of setting up the account, I didn't actually know that there was the level of community that there is on us, particularly on Instagram with, with sort of IBD sufferers and people who've had, um, ileostomies and, and so on and similar surgeries to myself. So a lot of why I started setting the page up was to inform sort of friends, family, people I worked with about what was going on and almost keep a, a visual diary of it. Partly because I didn't want to have to explain everything to each person individually, <laughs> and it was a it was a time saving exercise. But I think as time went on, and I started seeing a lot of the people that were following the account were people who were going through something similar. That's when I started being really I, I started being really keen on just sharing the little little bits and pieces I'd been through. 
because I think something something that I've realized with just within the last few weeks is that there a lot of the people who've resulted uh, who've had the surgery whose condition has resulted in having a similar surgery to mine are people that were very ill in a very short amount of time and I think for a lot of them they haven't had the time I've had to get used to a lot of stuff to um, find out a lot of information to be told a lot about the condition from medical sort of personnel and, and so on I've had 16 years of learning about it um, by going through it and a lot of people as I've seen I've spoken to lots of people who have had a diagnosis followed by short treatment followed by surgery within as little as six weeks and I just think with the the volume of information that I've got over the last 16 years for someone to try and understand and, and go through all that and sort of inform themselves on that whilst all of that horrible stuff is going on around them would be so so difficult so i think trying to put the information out there as well that's hopefully accessible and it's from someone who, who's not just sort of talking at you there's someone who's experienced the things that you you're going through as well um it's the sort of thing i think i wish i had early on early on in my diagnosis and early on in the process and i think it would have made a huge difference so that's what i'm hoping to do myself with the account i think it's wonderful and something that i've heard early on is that i've heard people say they want more male role models to be able to share an ibd experience and so i think it's absolutely fantastic that that you are out there, you're a male role model sharing your story because there's a lot of women that I think tend to open up more about it, but men are suffering with this just as much and they need to see how other men are going through the same the same thing. So thank you for sharing. I really do think that it's so important for as many voices as we can to get into the community and share our experiences. Thank you so much for saying that. that. That really means a lot because it's something. Look, as as a male going through this, I've no, I noticed quite early on in in the whole journey that men don't share their experiences as much, and I think that's down to generally. I mean, you you can see parity with that across mental health. You can see parity with that across things like emotional well being and general overall overall health. Men don't like to share those things or, or aren't as comfortable sharing those things as perhaps um, women are. And I've really struggled to find a lot of male-centric information or sort of men's health information whilst I've been going through this in relation to my surgery. Um, there's a lot of general information out there and there's a lot of information that's tailored towards sort of female biology and so on, which is fantastic. And every time I see that, uh, how tailored that is and how it considers biological differences and so on it's really fantastic but I think perhaps that information isn't as, as prevalent for men and I think as well and I I hasten to say this because I've had some sort of in-depth conversations with people about it and I think some people agree and others others don't but in my experience of of seeing other men share their journey a lot of the men who share it share it based around fitness exclusively which is incredible to see. And some of the people I follow are so inspirational where they've gone from being more ill than they've ever been in their lives to within two years, just being physically fantastically fit and healthy and just really incredible. 
But I think, as you've mentioned there, there's lots of different voices and there's lots of different types of people who have this this illness and this surgery. And I think focusing the male space around it entirely on getting to the gym and lifting weights, it only ticks one of the boxes. And it's it, I'm sort of keen to try and tick as many of the others as I can, if you, if you sort of see what I mean. Yeah, I love that. And I think you are 100% spot on. I agree with you that I think I know it's such a broad stereotype and I hate using stereotypes, but men tend to not share a lot in general. Women, women talk. That's our thing, I guess. But and so I think like you're saying, I think maybe it's an easier way for men to share if they put it not behind the facade of fitness, but that's more of something that they would share about normally. And so I think it's fantastic that you're ticking the other boxes and sharing more because it's it's just one part of it and it's not everybody's story. So the more experiences and the more voices is just phenomenal. Completely agree. What do you think has been the most rewarding thing about being able to share your story? I think definitely the just the sheer number and range of people there are out there who want to talk to you about it. I've met, especially through the Instagram account, I've, I've talked to so many people who are just, and I, this, this feels like a cliche, but they are amazing people. And they're also different. They've all got different things going on in their lives. They've all got different stories behind their sort of diagnosis and how they've dealt with their illnesses. They've got different ways of looking at it now. So there's there's a lot of people like myself who try and treat it with a bit of humor and to sort of try and make a bit of bit of a, not a joke out of it, but to sort of look at it for this sort of slightly ridiculous thing that it is. And others who are sort of still on that journey and are still trying to come to terms with what it is that they've been through, but are still out there, you know, sharing information with people, being honest about their journey and everything. And that's, that's been incredible. And I sort of mentioned earlier, early on in the, in the journey, I didn't know that existed. And it's only really been since I started my Instagram account earlier this year that I've just seen the, the number and, and breadth of people that there are. And everybody just wants to help everybody else which is, it's incredible to see, it really is. It is. We have an amazing community. Definitely. So speaking of humor, humor is a big part of your Instagram page. You post a lot of great memes about IBD, irreverent humor about body parts. You have a genuine humor and your personality really shines through on your page. So tell me a little bit, how has humor helped you over the years in dealing with IBD? And how do you keep the humor and the positive outlook as you continue to go forward in your journey? I think if I'm being completely honest, I think er early on, following my diagnosis, a lot of the humor came around as a bit of a defense mechanism. And I think I had in my head that I thought other people were going to make jokes about it. So I may as well make them first. And, you know, a, a lot of it came initially from that. But I think as time has gone on, there's been so many situations that I've been in in the last 16 years where I just look at and I think this is surreal. This is just, this is the, the the oddest thing I've ever seen in my life. I can't believe this is happening. And rather than get really upset by it or get really sort of annoyed by it, I've always just thought like, I can't, you just laugh. You just think, I, I can't believe that this I'm in this situation. And what I've always tried to do is, I think in situations like that, where maybe you're struggling or maybe something really embarrassing has just happened, it's really easy for those, especially with IBD and how frequently things like that can happen, 
it's really, really easy for them to get on top of you and really start dragging you down. And I think the first sort of five years um, after I was diagnosed, that's what it did. It really sort of pulled a lot of threads in my personality and, and really sort of dragged me down, made me a lot more serious and just sort of took a lot of fun out. And I just think that, I think it goes back to that acceptance thing. I think if, if you can accept that this thing is happening to you, as horrible as it is and as unjustified as it is and how you've never done anything to invite it, but it's happening and you've got to deal with it, whether that's an IBD diagnosis, whether that's a flare-up, whether that's surgery. I think if you can get to a point where you just understand that it's happening and you want to push past it and you want to work past it in a positive way, I think that's where you can get the humour from. Because, I mean, ultimately, I, I look at myself now since my surgery and my small intestine protrudes out through my front. It comes out through my, the front of my body and empties into a, essentially a plastic bag. And I mean, that's so bizarre and so strange, but so incredible and amazing at the same time. I just can't help but find that just incredible and something that is, is so surreal I have to laugh at it. Like I don't, I'm, I'm not someone, I can't look at my stoma at all and feel any ill will towards it because I find the whole thing just so strange and amazing. And I can see how much of a positive impact it's made on me in terms of my symptoms and so on already that I, I feel like I can laugh about it. And I know not everybody can, and I would never expect everybody to sort of, I'd never be somebody say, oh, lighten up, just get over it, you know, have a laugh about it. No, if you don't feel like you can yet, that's absolutely fine you keep working through sort of how you how you yourself are dealing with it and everyone recovers through this through the surgery and deals with IBD very differently but I've just always seen the situation as just being so strange I have to laugh at it. I love that perspective and you recently just put googly eyes on your bag if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> I did I, I was amazed that no one's done it before but in a, in a slight sort of um, splurge on Amazon I've bought 500 adhesive googly eyes and I've just sort of taken to attaching them to my bag randomly so that if I ever need to sort of get my bag out in public or at work or anything, there's just two googly eyes looking out of it. <laughs> I love it. So I also want to talk to you about your design work. You're a graphic designer, obviously with a sense of humor and IBD. And you've combined all these things into an Etsy page where you sell custom designs and you donate a part of the proceeds to IBD charities. So can you tell me a little bit more about what you're doing there? Yeah, I've I've always ever since I started as a graphic designer, I've I've always really enjoyed the two things I've always really enjoyed making are prints and apparel. So whether that's band merch, whether it's, you know, apparel for within a workplace or anything like that or just doing my own designs. I've always really really enjoyed it. And I was having conversations with a few people over the last few months about fundraising and, you know, what we could do for it. And a lot of the things we were talking about were sort of doing various sort of physical challenges. I know going back a few years, I did a, a London to Brighton uh, charity bike ride, uh, which I think it was about 80 kilometers, 90 kilometers. And it was fantastic. And I absolutely loved it. But at this point in my recovery, there's absolutely no way I could do that again. So it was just looking at ways that I could do something that I enjoy that would also look to raise some money for IBD charities and help them sort of carry on their their work and sort of, you know, look towards different support elements in particular. 
Um, you know, the work, the work for treatments and the work for cures goes on. But something I'm very, very keen on is, is the idea that any, I think anyone who is diagnosed and anyone who is in the recovery from surgery related to IBD, I think the support, they, they should automatically be support networks for them put in place, whether that's through Crohn's Charities or whether there's other organizations that can do it. I think it's so, so important. And if I can sort of help contribute towards funding for that in any way, I'd, I'd love to. I love that. And if people want to find you on Etsy, do they just search for your name or where, how can they find your page and your designs? Yeah, if they, just search, if they search for my name on Etsy, um, I have some designs up already that are ready for sale. Um, I am working on a, I guess you could call it a label um, or some initial designs at the minute for something I'm calling the No Colon Club for people who've had ileostomies and other similar surgeries, as well as their supporters, there will be a supporter version as well. And I'm looking to get a, a t-shirt and a hooded uh, hooded top ready for winter as well. Um, and what I'm going to do with those is that all of the proceeds from them, once the costs are taken up, the entire proceeds will be going to IBD charities. And hopefully before the end of the year, we can have a, a decent sized donation to a to a charity. That's wonderful. I'll put the link in the show notes. It's kind of a I have the link to your Etsy page. It's a little bit of a long link, but I know it's also on your Instagram page, too. So if people search people search Tom Wilding Designs. I'm sure it'll pop up on Etsy and then I'll have it in the show notes as well. Brilliant. As we get ready to wrap up, what's the final biggest message or piece of advice that you would like to share with listeners about IBD or maybe someone who knows somebody with IBD? I think if you're going through IBD yourself, truly the best advice I can give you is just keep going. Spend time building your resilience up. It's so difficult, especially when you're really suffering, but just spend, take some time, put yourself at the forefront of your recovery and, and you dealing with the illness and just keep going. Don't give up when it comes to fighting the illness. Don't come, don't give up when it comes to seeking treatment from medical professionals or other support networks. Don't give up when you can't always go out with your friends because you just don't have the the capacity, mental capacity or the energy to do to, to carry out plans that you've had. Just don't give up with it at all. And I think for people who are maybe supporting or around people who are being diagnosed with IBD or having sort of the surgeries is that I think it's just be flexible. And I know that can be really, really difficult when you just want the best for someone and you want them to be enjoying themselves and you want them to be like the best version of themselves. But I think just giving people that flexibility. So if they feel like they need to say to you, I can't do what we planned today. I'm really sorry. They don't feel awful about it. And I think that goes across every facet of life. It goes across work. It goes across friendships. It goes across families. I think it's just understanding that we really want to do those things. We really want to be given our best in work. We really want to be given our best to our friends and our loved ones and our families, but we can't always do it. We need to take that rest. We need to take that recovery. So I think it's just offering that flexibility to allow people to do that is, is the, the best advice I could give. That is great advice. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. So if people want to follow your journey, keep up with you online, where can they find you? Um, I'm primarily using my Instagram account to sort of log my recovery and any sort of new information that I find, which is under the, uh, the handle uh, intestines are overrated. That's the primary place that I'm, I'm posting things at the moment. I will include that in the show notes. Thank you. 
So as we wrap up, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you did want to share with the audience today? No, I think that's been great. And I think it's just a case of, I think things like this are so important. I think, like you said, getting as many different voices and experiences on this is what's really going to ensure everybody feels like they can deal with it. No one's getting left on, on the side feeling like their journey's different or that their feelings are different. I just think that if, if you're suffering with IBD uh, or you're at the point where you're recovering from surgery, there are always people, they might be complete strangers, but there are always people around that can support you and will support you. I love that. And like you said earlier, it's a great community. Everyone I've met has been so open and welcoming and friendly that if you're going to be in a community, the IBD community is <laughs> the best <laughs> <Definitely>. one. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, completely agree. May not be the best disease, but it's the best community. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you again, Tom. It has been such a pleasure talking with you today. Thank you for having me, Stephanie. It's been great. Thank you for listening. If you love these interviews and want to support the podcast, visit my website at Crohn'sFitnessFood.com, where you can browse my featured products page to shop the companies I love and support. Make a donation using the Buy Me a Coffee link to send a little love, or grab a copy of my book and IBD story, Crohn's Fitness Food and My Rocky Road to Health. If you have an IBD story that you want to share, send me an email at story at Crohn'sFitnessFood.com. And always remember, be strong, be grateful, and keep going. <laughs>